Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're very excited to announce that the application to join the 2017 Class of Venture for America Fellows is now open. If you like what you've heard on the podcast and you're interested in building something, visit www.ventureforamerica.org apply. The application deadlines for the Class of 2017 are September 26th, November 28th, and February 6th. Visit www.ventureforamerica.org slash apply for more information. Hey there, Jeremy Scheinwald here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Wiley really bounced in and out of college before joining Seamless as employee number six and never looking back. He spent nine years growing its sales effort before it was sold to Aramark, where he stayed until launching Single Platform, which helped restaurateurs bring their menus online and update them in all places that they were published with a single click. Good idea? Constant Contact thought so. They paid $100 million for single platform in 2012. Wiley joined First Round Capital, but still had the entrepreneurial itch, and now he's back at it again with Good Uncle. Good Uncle is a food delivery service with a twist. It can be hard to get amazing food outside of major U.S. cities, so Good Uncle will license, say, the two most popular salads from Sweetgreen, or pizza from Roberta's, just as examples, and deliver them to your door. So you can be in, say, I don't know, New Haven, Connecticut, or wherever they're going to, the secret place they are, where they're going to open their first location, and have the best food at your fingertips. I met Wiley a few years back, and I'm sure that you will see and hear his charismatic presence. A word about why we're here. VFA, Venture for America, is a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and thus help revitalize America's cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources that fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about Venture for America and to support our work or even to apply for the fellowship, go to ventureforamerica.org. A little bit about me. I launched the Mission Driven Group many moons ago. Check out my firm at themissiondrivengroup.com. And please remember to like our show on iTunes and to subscribe as well. And follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Scheinwald. But before we get to our interview with Wiley, I have to ask you, do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 77 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, there's just no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're just bound to be too busy, worrying about budgetary issues, scheduling appointments, maybe too busy to build a website. 
And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. The result is stunning. Now, here's our interview with Wiley Cirilli. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Wiley, yeah, thanks so much for, for being here. Great to see you again. Good to see you. Um, and a big shout out to our mutual friend, Eric Schrader, for having me, having, having you, having you on, on, on the show, introducing us. I met you at a, at a, at a Venwise event a while back, and as we were talking offline, I, I wish I could have had as good time as, as you were having uh, at that party. Um, so your, um, your personal story is, is, uh, is really interesting. Um, you've done a lot of media for a single platform and, and now Good Uncle. Um, you faced some pretty challenging circumstances growing up. How have those challenges shaped your perspective on, on business and, and just on life? Yeah, so as far as personal challenges, I think that, uh, you know, so, so, so growing up, I had two parents that were entrepreneurs. Uh, my mom and my dad and my dad was a uh he was in real estate and what he would do is refurbish buildings in providence rhode island and there's a few tall buildings in providence and one of them was just a brick wall and with no windows and so when you drive by the city of providence you see these it's sort of like a an eyesore and it would stick out so what my dad did was he hired an artist from RISD to paint these beautiful bay windows on the side of the building and it was far enough away from the highway so that when you're driving by, you actually think they're big, beautiful bay windows. And it looked stunning. And it's still there now, too. Uh, it's actually now like a landmark. They're repainting it now, hmm. 20 years later. So he uh, he did that. And I, I remember him doing that. And I remember him talking about it. And he talked about how you, know, you have – and by the way, when he did that, the value of the, of the building just like skyrocketed. And, <laughs> and so um, I remember him talking about it. And he said, you know – in life, you have you're always going to have all these challenges, and you can either look at these challenges as as a brick wall, something you can't run through, or you can look at them as windows. Um, and so, you know, so I, I came from someone who saw windows in this in a, in a windowless building, right? And so for for me, when I think of that, whether it's in my personal life or my professional life, or whether I'm I'm investing in a company or advising a company, I think, well, one, if you're starting a company and it's just, you know, there 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 aren't any, you know, challenges, big challenges, then the company's never going to be big. Uh, and I, I'd say that I like to invest in people. I like to work with people that see windows as, instead of brick walls. And so, you know, when I was 16 years old, I had, um, so my dad got, was sick and he died three months later when I was 16 years old. At the time, I was in a back brace and for a period of time couldn't walk because I had, got, I was hit by car and I had this condition on my back called spondylolisthesis, so I couldn't really walk. And I was told I couldn't, I wasn't really going to be able to run and play sports. And he talked to me the night before he died, and he and he talked about those windows, and 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 talked about how whenever you're faced with a big challenge, you the first step is imagining where you need to get to, because uh, as because if you can't, then you're never going to make those things happen. If you can't believe, if you don't see windows, and so 
um, that's that's really stuck with me in that following year. And because I couldn't run, I started to um, I wrestled. I said, okay, fine. I can't play football. I can't play lacrosse. So I'm going to wrestle. And I said, I'm going to put all my might into becoming the best wrestler I can, and became an you know all state wrestler, and then I was an all American wrestler, and and wrestled in college. And and so I think it, yes, I couldn't run, and and I couldn't walk for a little while, but I didn't look at those things as as things that were going to just stop me dead in my tracks. I said, fine. Let me focus on my strengths, and then um, I'll look at these challenges. I'll look at these, you know. These, this apparent brick wall is something that I will look back upon and say, wow, I overcame that. And uh, and so, you know, whenever I'm faced with a, a challenge at, at work, I now look at it and say, okay, if we can solve this and if we can not only paint these windows but build these windows, then all of a sudden we're creating this blueprint for for an enormous company. So I don't, I don't mind when we run into big big challenges. Of course, you know, it doesn't say I don't, I don't get stressed because I definitely do get stressed. Um, but... Uh, but I think that it just helps having that framework as a as a young kid uh, to be able to apply to you know most things that I that I do in my life. So I'm curious what you know because you 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 mentioned college. You know you went to Syracuse and dropped out and went to NYU and dropped out and re-enrolled a few times. And I guess this I guess this kind of mentality was very helpful to you during during that time um, to kind of keep you going and make you feel like you'd you'd find your way. But how did you decide you know that that I, did you was there a moment where you're like college wasn't for me or did the seamless uh, experience kind of take over and you're like well I'm I'm with this company and 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 now I can I feel secure and can keep going how, how did you how did you make the choice to walk away from college is basically what I'm trying to say yes yeah, so I, I don't think I ever made a conscious decision to say that I'm done with college um, I would like to ultimately like get a degree I'd like I liked school I liked going to classes. Um, I'm not trying to say that like, yeah, I promote everyone to drop out. I initially was dropping out because my family needed money, and I felt like I could also pay my way through school by leaving Syracuse and going to a school like NYU. I could work full time. Um, I'd say you know my, the the I first dropped out because I I had found um, so Scott Heffernan, who's the fa- founder of uh, Meetup, he was starting another company, and I met him, and I'd say that was my first turning point. Uh, he is dyslexic, and I, I have all these learning challenges. So throughout my entire life, I've, and, and still now, I feel this deep insecurity around being intelligent because I think I was sort of framed for such a long time, and, and still feel it that I'm not, you know, the smartest person in the room by far. And so I remember meeting with him, and, and he talked about this article in the New York Times that said that uh, they did this study through all these different CEOs, and they found that. Um, one of the most common traits was that they were uh, hundreds of these CEOs were either dyslexic or they had some sort of learning disability. And uh, and the thinking behind that was that, and how the New York Times reasoned this was that you have to at a younger age because you're not able to do a lot of things. You have to at a younger age learn how to delegate. Um, so identify mm-hmm. talent and delegate. And so for a leader in companies, that's one of the number one things that you need to do. You need to hire a great team. You need to identify talent and hire a great team. So I'd say that was like my first learning when I first dropped out of college. So it was the first time I felt like, wow, like I might not be the smartest person in the room, but I see a line of sight to how I can be successful was looking at him and looking at these other CEOs. So I'd say I learned a lot in that first year out of college. I dropped out the second time because I found the founding team of Seamless Web uh, prior to their launch and found a team that was a really great team that was trying to solve a big problem. And so I felt like I had the opportunity to take one year off of school, 
learn from this team trying to build, you know, trying to solve a big problem. Whether they failed or not, I still felt like I was going to be able to learn a lot. And uh, so I looked at it as a one-year hiatus, and then I'd go back to school. Um, after that one year, fortunately, the company was performing so well. We were profitable, fast-growing company in New York, and and the learning came, turned into, yes, I'm certainly learning, but also, wow, I could make a career out of this. So I decided to stay out of school for a number of years until we sold the business in 2006 to Airmark. And then at that time, I was going to go back, but we had an earnout, and uh so I decided to put it off again. And then at the last time I thought about going back, uh, I realized I wanted to start single platform. So um, I still do consider going back to school. It's not, you know, my message is certainly not drop out of school. Um, I, I think very highly of education. I think it should be changed a little bit so some people like who have learning disabilities don't feel like they're, they're stupid. We just have different ways of learning. But, uh, but I certainly got lucky in, in terms of who I had around me and who I had to, to learn from. One year at at uh, at Seamless ended up being thirteen years total, um, and you were employee number six. Like that, uh, and and were there till after its its acquisition by Aramark. Was this was this all the education you needed for, for you know, or much of the education you needed for to have a successful business career? Was it just you know a, a, a quasi MBA for you? Certainly a quasi MBA. MBA. I think. It, being able to be around a super talented leadership team is amazing. Whether I was doing anything or not, just being in a, you know, a room of this size with six people and hearing every one of their com- conversations, whether the company was doing well or not, is just such an, you know, you, you can read a book and you can read the lines of what people are saying, but to be there is a whole other thing. I think in, in some way it gave me sort of like an unhealthy dose of confidence in terms of the way startups work because Seamless was such a crazy success story, I thought, well, that's the way it works. So when I start my next company, this is the way it's going to work. Inevitable. Prof- to re- profitable after nine months. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is this is great. I could totally do it. So, um, you know, and that was not at all the path that sa- that single platform took. There was many more downs than ups for for a while. But uh, but you know, I, I can't. I'm not gonna say I regret having that. But uh, the other, you know, the flip side of it was. It gave it provided me a safe environment for me to start like micro businesses. So I could sort of be like a CEO or a GM of these different products that I rolled out. Um, some that worked and some that didn't. But it was it it gave me my first taste of it's okay to try things out, and if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. So it was you know an incredible experience. An MBA times I I think three, but who knows and. Uh, don't have my MBA, so. <laughs> so you, uh, you leave, you leave, you leave uh, Seamless slash Aramark to start single platform. You already said it wasn't. It wasn't always easy. I mean, it was sold. It, I just sort of found this funny because you know it was sold in less than three years for uh, for a hundred million dollars. Um, and and yet you kind of told you told Forbes quote for the first year and a half I considered closing the business almost daily. Um, you were talking about how how challenging is it? It just interests me. Like for more than half the company's existence, you were like, you know, maybe you know, deeply worried and and felt like this thing might not make it. And then of course it just absolutely um, explodes in the in the in the second half and all in such a short period of time. I mean, what were you? What were you quote getting wrong from more than half of single platforms existence? Or were you just getting a lot right and didn't didn't know because it takes time? So I think it was you know, it was a combination of things. We uh I don't think it's it, it, for the most part it's not a matter of getting it wrong. It was I don't say I, w- I was thinking about closing it down. I think it was 
oh my god oh my god we're not going to make it and you know you, here you are at the helm of the ship convincing people to leave their jobs to jump on board the ship that is you know taking on water at a very quick rate and so we need to change a direction to find you know to find dry land because the direction that you're going in is not uh, uh, is not working out I think that yeah, I never Vince Lombardi talked about how um, he said uh, we never lost a game we just ran out of time <laughs> right so he's like you know I always knew that we had the best team and if the time for the game kept going on we would win every game but that's not the way it works right you have four quarters in the game for the most part and it, and it ends there and whoever's winning at that time wins so you know if it were the Patriots, they would win every single game if the time kept going on. But it's not, right? It ends, and unfortunately, they lose a couple of Super Bowls. But the, you know, and that that's sort of how I felt. I felt like we, the idea made a lot of sense. I never, I never questioned the idea. I just knew that we had a ticking time bomb of instead of four quarters, it was we're burning, you know, X tens of thousands of dollars a month, and we're going to be out of cash. And there was. Uh, and dozens of times when we were days from going out of cash where I wrote checks into the business, asked people to pay, take pay cuts in exchange for equity, asked our investors to bridge um, our uh, to bridge us to, to the next round of funding or to be acquired. And we were acquired, and if we hadn't been acquired, our bank account was hitting zero in two weeks after that. Hmm. So I just it, there is that ticking time bomb of a pressure that you're constantly dealing with as a CEO and your CEO you need to set the north star recruit a great team and you you, you can't run out of money and so that running out of the money thing made me feel uh, like I was under a t- tremendous amount of pressure that plus you know watching my father although he was a you know really good at business development and real estate um, I also saw him lose the majority of our money as a kid and so I had this in the, in the background of my head it's playing over and over am I going to do this am I repeating you know the sins of my father and I going to go am I going to lose everything again I lost I left this great job at seamless web making all this money and you know you as a CEO you feel like you, your company is your brand and you have a hard time separating that and you know fortunately it, it worked out but uh, it was it was really scary. I'm curious. It it's so much of what you're saying, uh, you know, is is about your concern for other people, right? You know, you've got this this, this payroll to make, and people are counting on you, and they've left jobs, and you know, I think that's you know, obviously, it says a lot about you as a person. Um, how did this stress manifest in in your own life? Was it just like twenty, you know, twenty four hours a day work? Was it? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'm not good at letting the question lie. How did the stress? Uh, yeah. How did the stress manifest in your own life? So I'd say, you know, unfortunately, I've had a decent amount of that pressure since I was younger. You know, we lost when my dad died. We lost, you know, all of our money. We I remember our electricity being turned off. I remember working jobs in high school um, to help pay the bills and help take care of family members. And uh, so I, I have felt that pressure of a CEO for a long time. Um, but uh, how it manifests in my personal life is, uh, I guess, uh, I think I had a hard time separating out me, the CEO, from the rest of life. You know, I, I, 
I always thought about how I don't want my future kids to feel that amount of anxiety and pressure when they are, you know, a, a young kid. And um, I think I had, I, I know how damaging I was to myself as a teenager putting all this pressure on myself. Uh, I know how damaging I was as a early 20s putting all that pressure on myself, and I know how damaging it was to myself emotionally. I know I spent so much time in therapy. It's unbelievable, whether it's group therapy as a CEO with Venwise or, or <laughs> otherwise, um, that, uh, that I think I had that playing over in my head that I just want to make it feel like they, I can provide a stable environment for the people that I care for, and that goes for you know, my family members, my future family members, my kids, and the people that worked for me. Um, so I'd say my, my personal life really suffered. Uh, I definitely made a lot of decisions that I regret. I made a lot of commitments that I regret. Um, but uh, yeah, I've 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 turned. You know, at the same time, can't really complain. I've had this incredible life. I've had two amazing parents and an incredible family that I love, and all these amazing friends. And I mean, you know, listen, we we exited for a tremendous amount of money, and I've been on these incredible teams and all these amazing people around me. So, yeah. Have I really had that hard of a life? I mean, we're, you know, talk about like the the 1% of the 1%. Like we, we the United States is the is the 1%. So, yes, I I had some struggles growing up, but I right. could have had it a lot harder. Right. So I don't know. I, I find it hard to, to complain about this, the, the pressure I was, I was under and, and how I made some, you know, bad decisions personally. But I, uh, um, yeah, I guess it's all relative, right? Right. Well, that's very fair. We're all very lucky to live in uh, live in a country like this, for sure. I, I try to keep that perspective all the time. That like, you know, everything's relative. You always see someone's done a little better than you, a little worse than you. But it's like to be born with like I don't know, you know, healthcare ed- education being sort of like a given. Yeah. It's those are big unbelievable. Deals. Yeah. yeah, I. So I lost my dad, and that and that, and that sucks. And uh, you know, we lost our money. I still went to one of the most prestigious high schools in the country. I was on a full scholarship there. I was healthy, and you know, like it, it's an incredible family. I wasn't growing up in a terrible neighborhood, so mm-hmm. yes, it was definitely a struggle. But I put a lot of that pressure on myself, and I think being at first round, some of the things that I tell tell founders is that. Uh, being at first round gave me a lot of confidence to try to do this again. Like, okay, so it put me under a lot of pressure. Why the fuck would I do this again, right? <laughs> and I'd say that you know, being at first round, I see how they invest, and they are the best fund in the world. I see how they invest in entrepreneurs. I've seen how they invest in entrepreneurs who who got their business funded, and then it went out of business, and did it again, and did it again, and they're funding that same CEO again. And the reason is, is because they see someone who's attacking a big problem in a smart way. And, you know, I mean, the chances of selling your company for $100 million or more is 0.01%. So, um, you know, if the timing of the market isn't right, or maybe something, you know, maybe the competitor came into place, but there's all these reasons why things aren't going to work out. So I think being at first round alleviated some of that pressure of, you know what, like, Go out and try, and if it doesn't work out, and but if you do it the right way, you know if you 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 you're smart and you work hard and you can know how to you know know how to build a good team, um, some things are just going to be out of your control. So I think it that has alleviated some of the pressure for me to start Good Uncle, and 
not feel like if shit doesn't work out, it's the end of the world. I, I, I find that fascinating that, that you're that you're feeling the same kind of pressure at, at Good Uncle. Uh, we'll definitely come back to that. I want to. I'm curious going going to single platform. What 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 changed? I mean, it was it was such a again such a short span of time, and to, to have so much stress, and then just to have it. I've got to assume things just something something happened to just make the company, you know, take off. When did you? What changed? And when did you know the company was going to be okay? So let's see. So we we I left January two thousand ten. Got funded that summer. Um, product is 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 live then. Uh, the publishing pro- products, so single platforms for a small business, let's say a restaurant, would put their menu into single platform. They'd hit publish, and it would update their website, mobile site, and then their Facebook page. And the promise was, we're going to work with all these publishers, so a Yellow Pages, a Google, a Foursquare, all these publishers, so that when they hit publish, it would also update on their websites. Um, what it did at launch was update their mobile site and website, and we couldn't get any publishers to sign up. And so... I leave my job in January 2010. We launch a few months later. We get funding in August. And it's not until, let's see here. So January 2010. In April 2011, we are two months from running out of cash. We still don't have any publishers. This is a year, half into the business. And I remember going to Yellow Pages, and Yellow Pages said, I think it's really cute what you're working on. Come back to us when you have 100,000 businesses. And I appreciate their honesty. But then they went up on stage and they, they, they put up the slide that said the number one thing that customers want on their website are restaurant menus, which I found to be crazy because that's what we were offering. She walked off stage and we said, <laughs> I will do, I, 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 said, I told her, I'll give you 100,000 menus by August um, if you agree to work with us. And she did. And we had no idea how we were going to get those 100,000 menus. But what I did know is that if we could get Yellow Pages to agree, then I thought we could get Foursquare and Yellow and uh, New York Times across the, finish, across the finish line and get them to agree, which I did. So I'd say the first time that I felt some pressure alleviated was when Yellow Pages, and, was Yellow, when Yellow Pages said yes. Because when they did, what happened was Foursquare agreed and then New York Times agreed and then we did our next round of funding. We still didn't launch that publishing platform until basically January 2012. And that was the next point when I said, wow, we're going to be okay, is because that was when we announced our deal with Yelp and uh, with, uh, sorry, with Foursquare. We were in a bunch of different publications and Google signed to work with us. And the day that Google signed to work with us, it was like, you know, we won the World Series. And I'd say that was the first time that I addressed the company and said, all your jobs are safe. Mm. And I remember that day, it felt better than the day that we were acquired because I felt like everybody made the right decision to jump on board this fucking ship that is off in the middle of the ocean. And <laughs> guess what? I just spotted land and I think we're going to make it. So it was, uh, I'd say that was the that was really the first time. And then because Google signed, every publisher signed, and then we, we rapidly became this you know, sought after company that was acquired two months later. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. So from reading about the acquisition, you know, $100 million offer for single platform um, from constant contact it, it, it's it seems like you it seems like it happened very quickly like you got the offer were overwhelmed and said yes and correct me if I'm wrong um, was there a negotiation at all and, and if there wasn't were you worried that like 
<laughs> if you just going to say like, yeah, sounds good, let's do it, that they're going to be like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we shouldn't be offering that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you, you don't want to spook your buyer. How did it all go down? So prior to Cost of Contact, we had signed a term sheet to do a $17 million round of funding with a big fund. And um, we were supposed to close that round of funding. Uh, we, there was a article that was written in Forbes magazine, which you referenced earlier, um, who actually, by the way, just a quick story, side story. The guy who wrote that article was interviewed for a sales job at Single Platform. He accepted the job. On the Friday prior to the prior to the Monday that he was supposed to start, he called me and said, "Wiley, I I can't start. I'm going to take a job at Forbes and write for them." Hmm. His name is JJ Clow, and so he I said, "Listen, no problem. Totally get it. I'm really happy for you. You know, you just got a college. Write about us someday." He does, and he writes an he started writing an online piece. His editor said, "We'd like to make this a pub. We'd like to publish this in the magazine." They published in the magazine April fourth. April fourth is when we were a week before closing that $17 million round of funding. A guy from Constant Contact is taking a train from Waltham, Massachusetts, down to New York, and someone leaves the Forbes magazine on the seat next to him. He picks the Forbes magazine article up. He reads it. Um, the magazine up, he reads the article about us, walks into our office that day, and asks me to lunch. Uh, I actually pushed him off to meet with our, president, uh, our head of biz dev, and then he our head of biz dev said, you should go out to lunch with this guy, which I did. And that's when he said, we're interested in acquiring you. I said, you know, how, for how long you think about this? And he said, since I read the article today. So for me, the way I, th I, I felt like, and it sounds like it's crazy, ridiculous, a, a, that's amazing. Know, a, a yeah. story, but yeah. like those sorts of connections are way, the way that, you know, everything sort of works out in the world, the way you meet one person, you know, like we met at that dinner and the chances of us, I mean, like there's just... Everything in the world seems like a crazy coincidence, and I think if you work hard, then you know you have you have you you get better luck. So I'd say like you know that that article came out um, when I was sitting down to lunch with them. What I didn't want to do is I didn't want to mess up our round of funding that was going to happen that following week. Uh, there are companies that acquire that are that are approached. Um, all the time to be acquired. Most of the time they don't work out. So what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to have us spin our wheels and mm -hmm. to have go into this sort of tailspin of exchange of information and they're finding out about our company so that they could just basically launch what we are doing, which by the way happened on several occasions. Uh, GoDaddy did it as well. So we, um, there's that, there's a, uh, the movie Tommy Boy, right? And there's a scene when Tommy Boy learns how to sell and he first learns how to sell and he he's in a restaurant and he convinces the waitress to go in the back and turn on the fryer to cook his wings. And David Spade says to Tommy Boy, how'd you learn how to do that? And Tommy Boy said, well, I figure I had the day old pizza in the back of the car, so might as well just ask her to turn on the fryer for me. And that's how I felt about our, our uh, the situation I was in, except I had a, you know, a $17 million round of funding sitting in the back seat of the car. So I might as well just freaking ask for what I want because I don't want to waste my time. So he said, what would make it worth your while? And I said, well, we're doing a $17 million round of funding. So we would like a $17 million budget for next year. We'd like, a, you know, the, the, the price has to be at least at 65 because that's, that's what we were being valued at. And um, to get our investors across the goal line, we need to get us, I'm, I'm assuming we need to get at least a $100 million exit. 
Um, and while we're at it, we'd like to, you know, I'd like to be on the exec team of a public company. We'd like to keep the name. We want to vest people's options. We want to stay in New York. We want, uh, we want a signed LOI in you know a week or two, and then we want you know all these different things that I that I laid out. Because if he said no, then then fine. Like I didn't expect the thing to the thing to work out. So I think we negotiated it the right way. And he said, you know, those things sound reasonable. And I flew up to Waltham the next day, um, and uh, and that's sort of you know the way that a lot of deals work out. It sounds crazy, but it it it, it is. And I remember CEOs telling their stories of their acquisitions sounding like this. And I remember looking at the stage uh, and just saying, like, I just want to punch you because that sounds just so ridiculous. <laughs> and that's not the way things will work out. But the reality is now having line of sight into hundreds of companies from first round to other companies that have invested in it, it, it is the way that it, it works out. Um, so uh, I feel like we positioned it the right way, negotiated the right way. Constant Contact was you know, it's an incredible company and great leadership team and Joel Hughes and Gail and Tom and all the, all the people there, Harper, they're fantastic. And it was a wonderful experience. And I, I think they got a good deal. I think we got a good deal and that rarely happens. I, you, you know, you called the, 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 um, the sale of, of seamless to Aramark life-changing, obviously a hundred million dollars uh, to, to, uh, constant contact, very life-changing. You, you told, I think it was business insider, um, that, you know, all you really needed was a new washer dryer, new socks, mount the TV or something like that. You couldn't think of anything you needed. Um, so you told Inc. that. There's my note. Um, how long does that feeling last for? And, and does that change? I mean, does that is it is it a month later and you're like, okay, I got to go out and splurge? Uh, you know, so so I got some advice from some from a, a number of CEOs that went through transactions, many of which were you know went to this like spiral depression after their companies are acquired because they say okay you know happiness is an exit, and then all of a sudden they exit and they're like I'm not happy and now what? Uh, so so I got some really good pieces of advice and that's not how I felt. I did not spiral out of control. Um, yeah, I, di- I did buy a, a couple things, but for the most part, my look my my life hasn't changed. I have, you know, I'm wearing jeans that are ripped in the crotch that have been sewn up three times. I still cut my own hair. My shoes, actually I don't even have socks on. My shoes have you know, holes in them. I still wear a white t-shirt and jeans to, to work every day. I think going up in an environment where we were wealthy and very wealthy to, uh, and then losing all that, um, uh, I don't know. I think it puts a good chip on my shoulder in terms of you know what are the important things in life. You know, having lost a lot of people in my life uh, to to various things, I think yeah, money's not really what you what you need. And so uh, I think that if you attach your goal to a financial thing, and of course you know a certain amount of stability, it certainly has changed my ability to to do things. I think what hasn't changed is my priority over experiences. Uh, versus like material things. Um, traveling has been great to experience things with my family. Um, certainly to, you know, I bought a, uh, a home for my mom recently and that was one of the best days of my entire life. Um, so yes, those cer- certainly I've, I've splurged here and there, uh, but my day-to-day life, you know, I still, you know, I eat a yogurt for breakfast. I don't really, you know, I, I, my habits have not, have not changed. Um, pretty pretty frugal but i'd say where i have splurged has been more on the experiences you know experiencing things with my family with loved ones with friends um and uh and then taking some time off work to work on you know a nonprofit that i'm on the board of but uh but i'd say that hasn't really 
that hasn't really changed now. Last single platform question: Would the would the uh, the venture capitalist that was at the the Wiley, the venture capitalist that was at first round capital, have invested in single platform, or did you learn did you learn how to analyze I mean, things and, and say no? Fuck no. There's no way I would have messed with me. Like I think you know, the, there's this weird, constant feeling of like this like imposter syndrome that I feel that I think a number yeah. of other CEOs feel. Uh, feel like I just I don't deserve what I have in my life, and uh, so like. You know, like as a, as a CEO, you feel like you need to have all the answers for everything, and you're and um, yeah. I remember my mom saying to me when I was young. She said, "You know, Wiley." Uh, you think that we're as adults and as parents we have all the answers but we're just kids you know like we're just older kids and so we don't have all the answers and so when you ask a question a lot of times maybe we just make stuff up and i think in in and you know I mean, you're a parent and i'm not a parent so i don't know that feeling yet but like the the um the feeling of a ceo is you feel like you need to have the answers uh so uh, but but you don't, and a lot of times you're making stuff up, not in a bad way. You're just like people are asking questions, so you're going to try to come up with an answer as a, as a parent would when things come up. And so I think that when you go into a when you go into a a, a room and you're you're trying to raise money, um, you're telling a story, and people ask questions, and you need to come across confident, which I which I I'm pretty good at. Uh, I think that um, me being at first round, knowing me what I was thinking in that room when I'm pitching. Um, I would have known how many doubts that I have about the business, uh, and I and I wouldn't have. And I think I know, like Jason from from Seamless and a lot of other CEOs say, if I, if they knew this, all the snakes in the road prior to starting the business, they never would have started it. Mm. And so I know all the snakes in the road for single platform. I mean, obviously, I would tell me to to do it, and I would back me because I know what the exit was, and that would be a great investment for first round. <laughs> uh, but not knowing that part, then I then I I wouldn't have because uh, I just I. Uh, definitely have a, a big chip on my shoulder in terms of what I think I'm capable of. Um, and I, I don't, you know, a lot of that hasn't changed through having all the success. I still have a big chip, still have a lot of insecurities. And I try to be really open about that because um, I think it's just, it's not talked about enough. And I think you, you go on Business Insider and their Business Insider is amazing, but you, know, you, you go on all these different websites and it looks like these CEOs have everything figured out in terms of their business and their personal life. And it's just like, it's not true. And I see it in terms, you know, at first round, all these big companies and everyone's just, you know, they're, they're new parents. They're still trying to figure shit out. And, you know, maybe their kid's not a kid anymore, but they're a teenager and that sets a whole new set of problems. Same thing with the business, as the business gets larger. So I try to be more realistic and honest about, um, how really how CEOs feel when they're running businesses. And I can tell you most people are just, you know, scared and trying to figure it out. So we are chatting with Wiley Cirilli and uh, he knows, as you know, as I know that entrepreneurs and small business owners need good websites to get their businesses off the ground. Customers rely on the information they can find about your business on the internet to decide if they're going to use a product or service. Millions of entrepreneurs create their own professional websites using Wix.com, and the results are stunning. Wix gives you access to hundreds of customizable templates and easy drag-and-drop tools. You can get up and running today. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. That's free. Bootstrappers, take note. You can lower your cost to free with your website. There is no credit card required. Go to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com today. So the story behind Good Uncle is that you 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 pitched it somewhat surreptitiously at at first round. Tell us about how tell us about how you, how you how you made sure you got an unbiased 
opinion, and uh, and clearly, I'm the, the pitch went well. Yeah, so I'd say like you know, if, if I guess to to not answer the question right away, but the what I tell entrepreneurs to do if they're starting a business is not to ask their friends, "Hey, I'm starting this business. What do you think?" Because what their friends are going to say is. Um, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Or if you go out and you're going to sell to restaurants and you go out to restaurants and say, hey, I'm starting this business, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? Restaurants are for the most part going to say, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Like circle back um, because they don't want to be saying no and your idea is stupid is an uncomfortable thing. And so that's why I, 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 I urged CEOs and founders prior to you know leaving their jobs, try and go out and sell it like it exists because then you're going to get real feedback. Will you take out a checkbook and write a check for the service now and prepay me for it? And if you do, then great. Like the whole concept of if you buy it, uh, if you build it, they will come, right? Like forget that. It's if I sell it, th- then I'll build it for you. And so I, I encourage CEOs to do that to get realistic feedback in terms of what is going to actually sell in the market. So how Good Uncle went was, you know, this has been an idea that I've had for for a long time, and I I I thought I wasn't ready for another startup. So I made a long list of the people that that I thought could be a great CEO for this business. I went to the number one person on that list, Matt Dumar, who was the head of product for a for a single platform, the director of innovation. He's this you know Wharton. Um, guy who, you know, UPenn Warden guy who's who logistics background, investment background. He's just this ultimate superstar and pitched him the business and he was going to start it. So he left his job to start the company and um, I pitched it to first round as not my idea, but here's this guy who's starting this business. What do you think? And Josh from first round said, bring them into the partner meeting. And so at that point, I told, and by the hmm. way, that was the first and only time Josh has ever said that to me about any idea that I've ever pitched him. <laughs> I pitched him many ideas, um, many, most of which he doesn't know about because I would, didn't want to say they were my ideas because he said they were terrible. But, <laughs> uh, but he said, this is a really great idea. And I asked him some questions about it. And then I told him, hey, listen, this is actually my idea. And he said, I think that you should, um, I think you should leave and, and do this. And so, uh, I, I asked him, um, well, am, am I bad at my job or do you, like, do you like this idea? And he said, no, 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 I really like this idea. And, and so, I, uh, so I left and first round funded it with Box and you know, a, a group of incredible CEOs who've backed us and, or, and now Lear and all these other funds and I'm feeling really, uh, feeling really good about it, enjoying it. Presumably, considering you had this big exit, you could have Bootstrap this for a while, funded your funded yourself. Uh, you know why? Why start with VC money? Oh gosh, why start with VC money for for a number of reasons. One, I'd say that the bulk of VC money in general, the funds that I've been exposed to, whether it's as an entrepreneur or as at, at first round, I'd say that they add little to no value. Um, in fact, I would I would I'd go further and say there's probably like. You know, of the hundred of the hundred percent, there's, I'd say, you know, eighty percent that add little to no value, ten to fifteen percent that actually hurt you, like really seriously hurt you, unfortunately. Um, and then I'd say the remainder are funds and angels that actually add a lot of value. Uh, first round box and 
Now, there's been great, there's been, a, and then a bunch of these tech CEOs are ones that actually will add a lot of value. So, and what I mean by that is, when I was going through Toss Times at Single Platform, I would call entrepreneurs and say, I need help. Um, I need help with, you know, X area of the business. Um, let's say it's it's with interviewing a CTO, um, and then I would reach out to someone who is a you know strong founder who has a really a really strong technical background to say, can you interview this person for me? Because I can't tell whether this candidate's good or not. So it's basically who can you turn to when you need when you, when you lack a certain superpower for advice. And so when I was looking at starting Good Uncle, I said, okay, you know, I can take my money and put it into this business. Um, but what I know is that I don't, I'm, I know that I'm only good at one or two things and all the other things that's required to start this business, I'm not good at. So I need people around me that are good at those things, whether they're on the team or whether they're investors. So a good example of that would be, um, we're going, we're starting, you know, an online restaurant, um, and, and instead of, you know, a typical way of opening up a storefront for a restaurant, what are brands that have done that and have done it effectively? Birchbox did it effectively, and, and Warby Parker did it effectively. So I went to the founders of Birchbox and Warby and Healy and, and then invested into single platforms. So when I want to go to them for advice, I can. When I want to go to, uh, when we're talking about like how to name the company or, or how to brand the company, I went to uh, Red Antler, which is a branding agency, and they did the entire brand and they did the naming. And so, so when I'm looking for how to name something and how to brand something, I can lean on the superpowers of those people. So the reason why is that I don't have those skills and I need people around me that do. And so taking money from people that do have great superpowers and you can lean on to them for, for certain pieces of advice is, is a huge step up. And, um, and that's why I went with first round box and all these great investors. At this point, you're only a few months from opening. Um, where is Good Uncle as an organization, and, and where's the company in, in, its, in its development? So right now, so we are launching, so the idea, uh, the idea of Good Uncle, just to provide some background, is if you, if, if you look at the way that restaurants have opened up, um, their go-to-market is they find a neighborhood um, or specific street, right, real estate, real estate, real estate, and they open up. And it comes at a very costly price. In New York, typical rents are twenty to you know, seventy thousand dollars a month. That's an expensive rent to pay. On top of that, they have the design of the restaurant. You have you know, couches and tables and lighting and music, and you know, you have to have a designer do all this, and you have an architect do this, and then you have waiters, and they have uniforms, and they need to be washed, and there's a huge amount of cost that goes into the real estate and the front of house operations. All that take away from creating and investing in and creating in great food and back of house operations. You know, there's a lot of talk about how chefs are losing control of their restaurants and it's harder and harder to be a chef because how can you be a chef when all you have to work with is, you know, the lowest line of cheese and lowest line of bread and lowest line of equipment because all that is put into front of house. And the reason why you eat at a restaurant is to eat good food. And so what we believe at Good Uncle is that we believe that uh, we're trying to provide a blueprint for what the future of restaurants look like. And that is that we believe that in 10 years, 50% of dining experiences will be not uh, with restaurants that have a storefront. 
And we think there's a few ways to go about this. Uh, one way, which is our which is our model, we think there's dozens of companies that are, will be billion dollar companies taking our model, which is we're gonna partner with about a dozen of the top restaurant brands here in New York, and we're announcing them in a month from now. Um, but think your, you know, your local neighborhood favorite cult classic here in New York, whether it's a top pizza place or a bagel place or a sandwich place, like New York makes all those things the best. We're gonna license the most popular items from each one of those places and have a delivery only location um, so people will order through an app and secondary markets. Um, we're not announcing our market, their first market yet, but we're, we're launching in, in a couple of months. And people will open up the app and they will have the best of New York delivered to their doorstep in secondary markets, mostly college markets we're going after first for a whole slew of reasons. So uh, so we want to provide the blueprint for what restaurants are going to look like in the future. Right now, we are finalizing our relationships with all of our brands. Uh, so we will hopefully have signed agreements within the next couple of weeks with many of the top brands here in New York, just unbelievable who's coming to the table. I'm thrilled with who's gonna be a part of the team. Uh, we are in heavy duty construction of the restaurant space. So instead of having, you know, paying $20,000 a month or $50,000 a month for a space here, we're paying $2,000 a month for a space that in this market that has a 3,000 square foot kitchen, which is unbelievable. Uh, so we're doing construction. Um, and we are launching our app, and the app will be will launch in about another month and a half. So everything's coming together in this perfect storm of a situation, but in a good way of all these brands are signing, construction's being done, and we're launching the app. So right now, I'd like I like to say that like it's a it's a really beautiful story, and none of our assumptions have been wrong. I think uh, <laughs> Josh Kaufman talks about how. Um, nothing screws up a good story better than than data, and right now we don't have any data, so we'll see how it is in the first lines <laughs> of battle in September. But right now, uh, we're telling a really good story. We have a we have a small team of seven people. We're gonna keep it that way. Um, you know, we're not spending on office space. We're renting desks, and uh, and then I'll be living in our first market come um, you know two months from now. It sounds like you've got a bunch of brands set up. I mean, my my own thought process was kind of like. You're an established entrepreneur, um, <clears throat> so that's got to help. But I was like, if I'm a restaurateur, am I just thinking to myself like, "Hey, great idea! Sounds like a lot of fun." I'm not giving up my recipe, though. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's their that's their that's their their IP. Like, what's your? Have you been happy with your hit rate? Have you had a ton, ton of people saying that? Are you are you closing a lot of them? So we haven't had, and I'm not saying this to, to pitch at all. I've been you know honest this whole time. We haven't had a brand say no. Hmm. And I think that what's what's become abundantly clear to a lot of owners is it, the restaurant industry is a really tough business. Mm-hmm. And you can open up one location, and if it works, even though it's a 99% failure rate in the first year, if it works, um, the idea of opening up a second location and being an owner operator is just frightening. So for a lot of these iconic brands that have you know one location, maybe a couple locations, the idea that they can partner with someone who's you know like myself that's been in the online food ordering space for 17 years, that they don't have to, um, that's going to be opening up uh, a, in a market that they're never going to go to, um, that's going to be attaching them to other great brands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, our 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 legal team and we have our Gunderson Demmer invested in our business, so we have you know legal documents out the wazoo protecting them in terms of like how you know our employees can't share recipes and all that stuff and they're all enforceable but uh, I think that they look at this and say I want a better life 
I want to, I want the power back and I know that I have really good food and it's really hard to distribute this and to make this scalable. And we seem like a scalable option that can just basically send them, you know, X thousand dollars a month in, in, in the mail and, uh, and attach them onto, attach them to other great New York brands. And, um, and, you know, I think technology has changed the way that we have, uh, order food in cities like New York and San Francisco and, you know, dozens of others, but it's not changing the way that people have access to great food in most American cities here and around the world. Um, I think Blue Apron is one of those companies that's doing it, but it's still an expensive price to pay. And I think we have a chance to bring really great food to markets that are sort of um, overrun with Taco Bells and Domino's mm-hmm. and, you know, all these crappy chains and bring really great New York food to them at an affordable price. And uh, I think it won't just be us. I think there'll be a lot of companies doing it. But um, so, so, And we're considering making all of our technology just open source so that it's not just us. It's a lot of companies that do it because we think it's better for, for everyone. Last question here. we got to wrap. But um, I'm curious if at the ripe old age of what I think is 36, yep. 36, to the same as you're starting over again, do you feel like the exact same uh, you know fire in your belly that you had before, the same kind of energy to... to to launch something or, or is it different this time? Uh, it's definitely different. Um, as far as the amount of energy, I, I definitely don't have as much energy as I did as a teenager, uh, that I think that's good. Um, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I have less energy than I did in my twenties. I still think it's good. I, I, you know, CEOs in, in, in general, like I remember when I started single platform and then three months later, six months later, I looked back at that CEO and said, Oh my God, I could kick that guy's ass. Like I was just, wow, the mistakes I was making, it was embarrassing. And then fast forward a year later, I looked back at that CEO and said, you know, the CEO was six months in, but a year later and said, wow, like I could kick that guy's ass, I'm so much better. Um, and I trust my gut more and I'm better at, at telling them better storyteller. And so uh, each, you know, six months or a year that goes by, I'm definitely better and better. I'm definitely better from having been at, at first round. Um, I think it's less about a fire in a belly. I'm, I'm operating less out of being scared, uh, but in more just a, okay, like this is not you know my first NFL season. I've been a head coach for X years. I know how training camp works. I know I'm a mistake. So I think what it does is it is it cuts out a lot of the noise. It's like okay, how do we how do we hire people if things aren't working out? What are the signals of uh, of if they aren't working out? You know, we, we need to let go of someone. Today, unfortunately, and that that sucks and it weighs on you. But like I've been through it and I know what that feels like. So instead of extending that process out six months, I know right now is the right time for that person and for us. And so it's I think it just I trust my gut. I think I would kick Wiley's ass from single platform <laughs> right now, um, and hopefully that process continues. So um, you know I'm, I I want to do something where I'm. I am around people that I love and admire and where I'm learning things and where I'm, I feel like I'm adding a lot of value and I feel like I'm actually adding a lot of value per square hour uh, <laughs> than I was before. And so long as that's the case, then then I want to be here doing this. And I think that's going to be for a long time. 
Well, it's exciting to to be chatting with you at the beginning of this of this uh, of this story, and it sounds I mean it sounds like a really cool, I'm, I'm salivating as I think about the brands that could even be there. I'm like, man, I should go down and get a cat's pastrami it's, it's yeah, pretty yeah, sandwich right now. Uh, okay, well, that, that <laughs> you should see the smile on Wiley's face. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, so keep an eye on Good Uncle. Um, in about a month's time, we're going to know yeah. who's on who's uh, who's on deck and also uh, where it's going to be. So if you're if you're lucky enough to be in in that town. I'm, I'm sure uh, you be, you'll, you'll be downloading that app soon enough. Yep. Um, thanks so much for being here and, sh- and sharing thanks your story. Good to see you again. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.